down and shadows fall. Welcome to a world of mysteries, of conspiracies, of hidden and forgotten knowledge. There's a world more strange, more frightening, and more fascinating than most people ever imagined or dared to contemplate. Your parents, your teachers, never told you the whole story, either out of ignorance or fear. Your politicians may know, but they keep their mouths shut. The door is opening. Throw off your chains and blinders, arm yourselves with the truth, and take a walk along the razor-sharp precipice of the Outer Edge. are getting stranger by the day, aren't they? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, that's what uh, that's what we live for, strangeness, right? That's right. That's right. Well, I think reality itself is strange. It's a strange... It's strange that we even exist, isn't it? <laughs> it's all uh, strange. So, hey, you know. It is. It is. I mean, you know, you, th- you think about the uh, unique set of circumstances. Absolutely. That uh, that bring us into this universe, or bring the universe into us, you know, depending yep. on how you look at it. Yep, it's uh, all absolutely amazing. People say, "I don't believe in the supernatural." The fact that you exist is supernatural. That's right. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, so, what's up? Uh, what's up with you? Uh, um, I know that the last time that we talked, um, you had your 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 knife project. That uh, you were excited about. Is there uh, any uh, anything uh, new uh, uh, with that since I talked to you? Yeah the the company is working on uh, these are all nice hand forged pieces by you know expert guys that really know what they're doing and uh, they they're working on four pieces. Two have reached completion. One will be available probably by the end of the week. I'm hoping. Um, as soon as I get it in hand, I can examine it and say, hey, yeah, it's good. Let's do this one. We're going to get one out uh, pretty quick. It's a survival sword um, for people who are serious about, you know, uh, uh, sort of a whether it's post-apocalyptic or whether it's just getting out in the jungle, you know, whatever it is you're into. Um, it's a, it's the real deal. It's going to have a, uh, a 21-inch blade. I think you've seen pictures of it. Mm-hmm, yeah. Yeah, it's a wicked piece. It, it's it's a little on the heavy side, but there's a reason for that. This is something you can use to batter down a door, or chop down a tree, or split a big foot in half. Whatever strikes your fancy. Um, hmm. So yeah, we, we're calling it the mutant the mutant sl- the mutant slayer survival sword. Uh, it's pretty cool, and it's going to have a nice long handle, at least a foot long for two hands, uh, a, a scabbard or sheath that you can wear with a strap on your back and or, and or under your arm. Uh, it's, it's just a really nice-looking piece. It's very, very attractive, very well-made, and, uh, you know, full tang. And people that out there that don't know what a tang is, that's the piece of metal that attaches the, the sword into the handle. And most blades or mini blades don't go full tang. What full tang means is the blade is one solid piece all the way through the into the handle. It's one mm-hmm. solid piece of metal with a mm-hmm. nice thick piece of metal. 
it's much you know it's much less light, likely to ever fail you to break to bend whereas a lot of people that make knives and swords do it cheaply and they make what's called a rat tail tang which is a little skinny piece of metal with a great big blade attached to it and it's basically worthless but you won't know that unless you know you know what the construction is right and, uh, yeah and a lot of people do something that they'll do a welded tang where they will weld the tang to the blade and that will fail you know sooner or later that's going to break but if you have a full tang where the whole piece is one solid piece, you've got something that's damn near indestructible. And so everything these guys are doing for me, um, on my designs, it's going to, going to be full tang construction. So it should be pretty cool. Hmm. Now, and now this isn't something that uh, that you'll be able to go down to, like say your local Walmart or or Sam's <laughs> Club and buy. Right? Yeah. No, not exactly. Actually, you'll have to order this custom from mm-hmm. the from the the people who make it, and they are in Nepal. Um, and they usually have about a, I'd say, you know, give them time to make it because each piece is made by hand. Once they ship it, it takes about five to six days to get here, business days. Oh, so, well, that's not long. No, that's not long at all. But like I said, they have to make them by hand. And mm-hmm. they are all, each each piece is hand forged, hand forged, um, hand finished um, with, uh, of course, um, wood scales on the, on the tang, that, you know, to grip, really nice looking stuff, a nice metal pommel. A steel cross guard, everything's steel actually, and the uh, the scabbard is wood covered in buffalo hide. So it's a really nice looking piece. You've seen pictures of it, I think. So, mm-hmm. oh yeah, yeah. Well, now uh, if uh, anyone out in the audience wants to see a picture of this, where uh, where can they find it? Um, right now, it's only being shown in secret groups, closed groups. Ah, but I see. So, and at the end of okay, the week, yeah, at the end of the week, I'm going to put it out uh, on my page. And on my uh, Metamorphic Musings page on Facebook, which is you know a page about all my projects, um, and I'll also probably eventually do pretty quickly a blog post about it. Um, if the weather would cooperate, maybe I'll get to do some videos. If, if it's going to stay nasty and rainy, I won't be able to do it. But I'm still <laughs> going to do a blog post about it. But again, it will be on my page on, and some other pages and uh, uh, my, my art pages. So art and writing pages. So, yeah, okay. if people want to see it, they'll be able to find it. Fantastic, fantastic. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to uh, uh, seeing that. And uh, and you don't have to answer this if you don't want to. I mean, you know, you can say that you know you don't you know you don't know yet. But see now, how how much would this set somebody back? Uh, you know, if they were to order this, uh, you know. You know, I don't, I don't know yet. They've got to figure mm-hmm. out the, the price point after I tell them to go ahead and do it. Um, I can tell you this. If you ordered a, uh, a custom, professionally made piece like this, you know, in North America, it would cost you probably four or five times as much. Hmm. Wow. And these okay. guys these guys know what they're doing. I mean, these guys have been making blades and swords and knives, and, and they're, fam- they're famous for the kukri. That's their, their, fa- that's their design. Uh, these are Gurkhas. And they've been making these things in the Himalayas, uh, weapons like this for uh, well over a thousand years. They mm-hmm. they actually drove the Mughals and other Muslim invaders out of Nepal. Uh, that was the one region of India where they really never got a foothold. You know, when the Mughals took over India, they couldn't take Nepal because those people were so fierce. And uh, yeah, so they they really know what they're doing. Um, another thing that they're working on, they're doing two two Bowie knives and another sword right now. Um, the one of the Bowie knives is almost finished. 
Um, it's one of the ones they're sending me. I've got to approve it. We may make mm-hmm. a few modifications after I look at it. We'll have to see. But uh, we're going to go with the sword first because I think it's pretty much there. Um, but, yeah, the, the price on these should be very, very reasonable for what you're getting. You're actually getting a custom. Each piece, even if it's a model of a, of a design, each piece is a custom. There's no machine stamping these out, you know. There's no right. pr- uh, hot metal press or you know, rolled steel or any of that kind of stuff. They're taking what they're doing is they're hand forging these, so uh, from high carbon steel, spring steel. So it should be pretty good. Hmm. Wow. Fantastic. You know, it says forging, forging them in the living fire. That's right. That's exactly what they do. <laughs> All right. Cool. Cool. Well, I, I wanted to ask you. Um, uh, uh, about a, a recent radio uh, appearance that you had, but uh, I want to uh, let let you and everyone else know that uh, I've got uh, myself, uh, Tim Beckley, and Sean Castile have uh, got a new book out that uh, we just uh, we just finished it uh, this week, and it's now available on uh, Amazon and uh, and as a Kindle uh, uh, ebook as well. It's called uh, UFO Repeaters. Seeing is believing the camera doesn't lie, and it has about uh, uh, fourteen different. Um, uh, gosh, what would you call it? like uh, UFO personalities? Possibly uh, right. uh, these these are these are people who, for a number of years, um, have had uh, uh, UFO repeated UFO experiences, and we're right. not talking about we're not talking about somebody like uh, um, the 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 Swiss. Yeah, Billy, Ma- with Billy Meyer. Yes. Yeah, I was I wasn't going to say it. Yeah, yeah. Mister <laughs> Pipelights. That's right. That's yeah, right. Okay. But I mean, we're we're talking about. I mean, a lot of these people um, really did not go out of their way to to seek publicity, um, but uh, they still uh, continued to have uh, 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 UFO experiences, uh, take photographs. I mean, not, uh, and you know, they we featured cases. I mean, not just here in the United States, but in Mexico, South America. Uh, you know, some uh, some cases over, say, like in Spain and France. Uh, there, there was one case that uh, I had never even heard about. Now, um, Sean Castile uh, wrote about this one, but it was called the Friendship uh, Case, and it took place in the 1950s in Italy. And uh, it's uh, it's really a really a fascinating case, and it I mean, very much like the um, you know like the contactee movement that was going on here in the United States. Right. You know, at around the same time. But I mean, these uh, people, I mean, it, it, rather than having, say, like just one person who was involved in uh, the, the, you know, alleged aliens or UFO occupants, I mean, you know, you know who knows uh, what they, you know, what these uh, uh, beings said were actually true or not. But I mean, you had with the uh, um, the friendship incident, you had a number of eyewitnesses who uh, talked to these uh, uh, who talked to these beings, received uh, um, um, radio communications, television communications. And uh, uh, there, there's we even feature a very interesting picture of uh, supposedly one of these uh, uh, alien beings uh, um, that uh, they were like over 
eight feet tall. Right. And so, I mean, we've got this picture of this guy. I mean, you know, he, he, he looks kind of almost like a, like a tourist, but I mean, this, he's a, he's a big man. He's wearing shorts and tennis shoes and kind of looks like a regular person, but he's really, really tall. I really like so, to copy of that. Yeah. And, you know, I would love to get Sean Castile on here sometime. I know you say he doesn't do radio, but you know, there's, there have been rumors for years that he's this person and that person. And recently, yeah, in terms of, of, uh, uh, months anyway, somebody actually said that you and he were the same person. No, you, oh my you may recall, but yeah, we need to get yeah. Sean on here. If you, if, you know, we'll, uh, yeah, I think he would be a great guest on the outer edge. Yeah, uh, yeah, I've 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 asked him a couple of times. I think maybe if we can try to do a maybe a pre-record sometime, we may be able to get him on. Okay, yeah, we you should know, do that uh, definitely. Yeah, yeah, but uh, but that's uh, again that book is called uh, UFO Repeaters: Seeing Is Believing. The camera doesn't lie. It's available right now on Amazon.com and as a uh, as a Kindle ebook. And uh, yeah, I, I, really, I highly I really, recommend it. I really want to see that picture that uh, that Nephilim guy pretending to be. Uh, an alien. I, I'd like to take a look at that. Yeah, it's uh, it, it, the, the whole friendship. The whole friendship case is just really, really fascinating, you know. And uh, yeah. I'll, uh, I'll I'll see if I can find a copy of that and send it to you. Cool. That's awesome, man. Yeah. Okay, so now uh, let's let's get back to uh, uh, your. Uh, uh, oh uh, gosh, we just have a few minutes left here before we need to go to our first break. But tell us about your uh, your your recent radio appearance. <laughs> Well, I have had a couple of recent radio appearances, actually. Um, <laughs> but I, I had someone trying to get me on their show um, this past week. Uh-huh. They wanted me to record this coming week, and it didn't work out too well. Um, they were after me to record a show, pre-record a segment for a show on the BBC mm-hmm. for a very popular show, apparently. Um, and... The lady called me, and I was a little suspicious from the beginning because she said, I'm the producer for a program on the BBC, and I'd like to have you speak with our presenter. That's what she said to me. Mm -hmm. So I said, okay. (laughs) I said, I'll think about that. And then she kept on, you know. And uh, so uh, she kept calling. She called me, and she managed to Skype me finally. And then um, I talked to her, and then at the end of the talk, I had agreed to pre-record a segment with some other people that she says they're going to talk to that day. Mm-hmm. And she, I, I said, I said, who is, I said, I need to know. I said, I said, who's the presenter and what's the show? And she hesitated. <laughs> and she said, oh, this presenter's name is, and she gave me a name. And she and the show is, and she gave me a show name. And she said, but this is for a special, this is the special show on the Hello Earth and all this kind of stuff. I said, okay. So I thought about it. I thought about it. I said, okay, I know how to use Google. (laughs) 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 So I went to a little Googling and I found out that this is a show that's basically a skeptic show with a couple of fellows who are very, very clever. We're so clever. And they had all these shows that they had recorded on their SoundCloud page where they had interviewed people and then they were interspersing their interviews with canned laughter and applause. Mm. And, you know, you can always tell the canned laughter and applause because everybody stops clapping and laughing at the exact same instant. Oh, yeah. You know, it's like, ha, 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 and it, it stops. So, yeah, it, it, it was very, 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 very clever, very smarmy, and 
they would they present us. There were two guys, not one, but uh, the guys would say something, and then you know, when they whenever they said anything, there was this huge uh, mechanical uproar of applause and laughter, and then you know. So I thought, yeah, okay, I'm not, I don't think this is for me because. You know, why bother to put yourself in a situation where you're not going to be taken seriously? The whole point is to try to make you look like a fool, and then they control the final product because it's not live. They can right, go in right. and edit. They can add their their laughter and their their ridic- their sounds of ridicule and contempt to any segment and to anything you say. So I'm thinking, no, this isn't going to happen. So I actually had something come up where I'm going to, have to be taking care of some business next week. And I told her this. I said, the same day that I'm supposed to be on your show, I've got something come up, so I'm not going to be able to do it. Well, then she she said, oh, you know, I, I sent her an email to that effect. She sent me an email back, and she said, Kim, can we, can I pre-record you? The presenter can't record you. He's not here. But can I record you? I guess it's so she can ask the questions, and he can, like, do his voiceover bit. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And I said, I, well, I didn't say anything because I didn't see the email because I was busy. So right. later on, I'm busy, and I get this, I get these phone calls on my cell phone, um, and they're from an unknown number. Unknown. <laughs> unknown. I normally don't answer unknown, but it, so my, my son was traveling that day, and I thought, well, you know, maybe he's using somebody's phone or something or something, you know. Something's happened. He needs to call me. So the first time I ignored it, the second time I answered it, and it was like, oh, Michael, I'm so happy to have reached you, you know, and this kind of stuff. And and I just told her, I said, look, I, I could tell she thought, she said, I was afraid you were getting cold feet. I said, well, to tell you the truth, you know, I said, I am going to have to be taking care of what I told you I was going to be doing next week. But I said, you know, and I told her what I thought. I said, you know. I've been advised, and I was by other people too, to not appear on the program and stuff. And uh, <laughs> yeah, so she wasn't too happy with that. But uh, you know, I, I just don't like the whole way the whole thing went. The whole not telling me who it was, intentionally not telling me, you know, what the show was and who, who the the presenter was, and uh, and then the sneaky way, you know, of calling me like I'm dodging her when actually I wasn't. Which right, uh, yeah. So I, that just, to me, it just kind of rubs me the wrong way, you know. I, you know me; I'm, I'm a very upfront person. I don't, I don't go for all that kind of crap. So, well, you know, I mean, I, I don't mind being on a program where they're wanting to have a larf, you know. Uh, but I want to be able to um, be in on the joke and to, uh, uh, you know, play along with them. Right. Uh, you know, it, it sounds to me that, like, they were trying to set you up that, I mean, there'd be no way that you'd be able to respond. Exactly. I mean, you don't know what they're going to do with your audio. Yeah. 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 And, you, you know, know, recently I did a great interview with Greg Carlwood over at the Higher Side Chats, you know, HigherSideChats.com. Mm-hmm. Just a fantastic show. And then uh, it was pre recorded, but it came out last week, about a week ago, I guess. And then right before that, I had done one with uh, uh, James Swagger on uh, Capricorn Radio, and it was just fantastic, intelligent, you know, well-discussed program. Both those programs were. And so mm-hmm. why, should, why should some people like you and I go from dealing with upfront, intelligent, uh, you know, knowledgeable people like those guys mm-hmm. to go put yourself in, a, in, in a, a monkey cage? Right, right. And that's all I'll say. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah. 
all right, this is Mike Mott, and, you know, you're going to appear on the Zoo Crew. And then, you know, sounds of flatulence. and. Oh, isn't he funny? He has strange ideas. Oh, he's such a funny little man. He's over there in America, and they believe the weirdest things over there. You know, they still believe in God and, and things like They're just primitive. So, you know, why, why, why deal with that kind of crap? You know, that's just yeah. stupidity. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. it's I, I I agree with you. It's, it's like I said, you know, as long you know, I'm I'm more than happy to be on these types of programs as long as they allow me to joke along with them. But yes. if they're you know, if they're gonna pre record you and set you up and you know, yep. they can ask all kinds of uh uh dumb questions and then well, put in whatever you, your response is. Well you let's know. say you uh, give them a response that they absolutely cannot deal with, where do you think it's gonna end up? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's called the cutting room floor. That's right. <laughs> but tonight we have a good guest. We have a great guest who is among friends. That's right. That's right. We have uh, with us tonight uh, uh, Butch Witkowski. And uh, Butch is the director of the UFO Research Center of Pennsylvania. And uh, he had a, a, a UFO experience in 1989 that uh, I guess he couldn't get anybody interested in. You know, he called, uh, I mean, he was a, I guess he's a former uh, law enforcement officer himself. You know, he uh, called the cops and, you know, I guess uh, uh, called the, maybe the Air Force. Uh, we'll have to ask him about that. But nobody else was interested. So he was, he just decided, you know, screw this. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do it myself. And uh, so uh, in, the, what was it, I think it was 2009, he started the UFO research of, uh, of Pennsylvania and uh, brought together some of the best and like-minded uh, researchers uh, that they that he could find in that area. So it uh, should be a great show tonight, and I'm really, uh, really interested in uh, in talking with him. Cool, sounds good. Let's, let's, uh, let's go to break and get him on here. All right, great. So you're listening to The Outer Edge on the PSN Radio Network. I'm Tim Swartz. When we come back, we will be talking with uh, Butch Wachowski. So stay tuned.
put a team of professional consultants behind your home or business computer with key information solutions, providing solutions to your internet and computing needs while keeping you on the cutting edge of technology, preventative maintenance and networking support, hardware and custom built computers. Let key information solutions be your personal tech staff for your home or office with affordable hourly, monthly or annual rates to fit anyone's budget. Call Key Information Solutions now. 954-973-3374. That's 954-973-3374. Or visit keyinformation.com. TalkStream Live introduces our first ever iPhone application, Mobile Talk Radio. Imagine having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go. You'll be surprised how easy it is to use. So I think what's going on here is that Obama is banking on unemployment falling. Listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Talk Stream Live. Now available in the iTunes App Store. So, Jacqueline. Yes, Mom? I wanted to talk to you about something, and... Oh, wait. Hold on. I just got a text. Oh, there's another one. Wow. Busy, busy me. So, anyway... Oh, wait, Mom. I just got a message. My friends keep commenting on my comment. Oh, there's another one. So many comments on my comment. Oh, I can't wait to watch TV tonight. Playoffs! Hey, guys, check out my new video game. Wait, wait. Mom, what? Huh? What? Hold What'd on. you say? Wait a second. Huh? This weekend, unplug. Take your family to the forest. There's nothing in the world like experiencing nature firsthand. Trees, paths, bluebirds, streams. Getting closer to nature can get you closer to your family. To find the forest nearest you, go to discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Whoa. The moment my son saw a redwood tree. It's huge! Is the moment I knew that for him. You can't even see the top of that thing! Even the sky has no limit. There are some moments only the forest can inspire. Find yours at discovertheforest.org. Learn about forests near you and discover cool things to do when you go. Your moment is out there. Find it at discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Free stuff for you just for listening to this station. Yeah, we got your attention. Here's how it works. You click on the radio loyalty banner right now and sign up. Then you keep on listening like you already do. But now you earn points. Those points add up and you can trade them in for cool stuff in the radio loyalty store. Earn more points by sharing your station with friends on Facebook and Twitter, answering surveys, and by using the apps in the new player's app store. Pretty simple. Free stuff just for doing what you already do. Radio loyalty. Click the banner to join now. Back to the Outer Edge. I'm Mike Mott here with Tim Schwartz. And uh, it's March 22nd where I am for about 30 more minutes. The 23rd has dawned, even though it's still dark, where Tim is. Um, 
<laughs> Call the number is 786-245-8127, Facebook.com slash The Outrage Radio, or you can go to the page where the show is, is described and actually listen. And I guess you are listening, or else you wouldn't be hearing what I'm saying. And we are here right now <laughs> with a very special guest, Butch Wikowski. Did I say that right? Is that correct? Butch? Yes, sir. Welcome to the show, man. We're really glad to have you here. I'm glad you guys invited me. Cool. Yeah, man, it was very nice. So, uh, uh, yeah, we uh, uh, got to we got to uh, hear you uh, not too long ago on uh, Tim Beckley's uh, uh, Unraveling the Secrets, and so I mean after uh, talk after talking to you uh, uh, there, I I knew that you'd be perfect for uh, the Outer Edge. So. You know, and that's this way. You don't have you know like uh, two other two other guests on <laughs> that you have to try to talk around. So <laughs> just just us crazy host. Ah, uh, the best. They are the best kind, though. Yep. <laughs> well, but uh, let's uh, uh, you know, and and I know this is kind of uh, cliched, uh, but um, why, why don't you tell me? Uh, and, and I mentioned just right at the beginning uh, before we went to our last break that uh, uh, I, I guess that uh, uh, had you had any interest in uh, uh, UFOs or, or or strange phenomena before uh, your in, uh, UFO sighting in uh, 1989? None. Absolutely none. I was more of a um, sci-fi freak. You know, I liked monster movies, sci-fi movies growing up, that kind of stuff. And um, that was pretty much the extent of it. I mean, as far as ufology was concerned, that was a total foreign thing to me. I didn't know anything about it. Um, Oh, I've heard stuff, you know, saw stuff in the papers and magazines and stuff. But I never paid much attention to it at all. Until, hmm. <laughs> until right, right. Well, why don't you tell us about uh, uh, about your incident? What, uh, what did you see? Where were you? And uh, what happened? Well, it was in 1989. We were at, we were living in Tucson, Arizona. My wife and I, and and uh, we had some guys come in to put some saguaro cactus in on the property, and they were all done. It was one of those really hot days, and. Uh, so my wife asked anybody if they wanted some cold drink. She went in and brought out a bunch of iced tea, and we're all standing in my driveway drinking iced tea. My neighbor across the street, uh, he's out front gardening. Uh, my neighbor to the right of me, uh, he's out by his pool. And I just took a swig and looked up, and right above a mountain uh, is, I'm going to describe it as uh, a very, very large craft Uh burnt bronze in color, had some faint green lights on the side, two or three of those. They weren't blinking or anything, just faint green. Um, very large, uh, three football fields, six, seven stories tall, just hovering there. It, was, it wasn't moving, and I, I kind of glanced at everybody else, and everybody was looking at the same thing. Looked over at my neighbor, he was looking at the same thing. Looked at the other neighbor, he was looking at the same thing. And it was totally silent. There was no electronic interference. There was no standing of hair on end, you know, none of that stuff. It was um, it was just amazing in the time that we watched it that something that large could be floating up there like that. At first, I thought it was a blimp. But then when I really looked at it, you know, it wasn't a blimp. It was uh, definitely metallic. Uh, I saw no seams or anything like that. Um, and it just rose up another maybe 1,500 2,000 feet and shot off to the west probably faster than a bullet 
And the only thing I remember really clearly is my neighbor yelling across the street, who at that time was uh, the head of all the federal prisons in the Southwest for the government. Mm-hmm. He yelled out, what the hell was that? <laughs> I looked at him, and I went, like, I have no idea. So I thought, well, I ought to report it. So I went in the house, and I called the uh, Department of Public Safety, the Highway Patrol, Tucson Police Department, Sheriff's Department for Pima County, Davis Moffin Air Force Base, every media outlet I could reach, uh, television, radio, uh, and nobody had any reports of this. And I just thought, now that's nuts. Nothing this big sits that long. And it was there for a good minute, minute and a half, almost two minutes. And nobody saw it but us. And we're all standing there. We all saw exactly the same thing. Nobody saw anything different than anybody else. And um, that kind of piqued the interest. And then I went at it, you know, whole guns and um, and about, you know, collecting books and papers and, you know, whatever I could find on the, on the subject. And around about 1996, you know, I'm, well, before that, a little bit, maybe 89, maybe 93, 94, I kind of lost interest. I, you know, I just wasn't getting any answers. You know, everybody had the same old stories. By that time, I had read Roswell's story 15,000 times, I think. <laughs> you and everyone else. Uh, yeah still are <laughs> and um so about 1996 i was we had moved back to pennsylvania and living here at the house and um some ufo program come on and i don't know why it was nothing special it was uh basically just a couple guys talking about cases and stuff like this and it just something just lit up switch and i've been at it ever since uh, you know, I've got like close to 1,500 books, and I can't tell you how much paper, reams and reams of that. I sit here, I'm in the middle of one, two, three, four, five, six computers, uh, all doing something. And, um, and I still wasn't getting quite what I wanted because I didn't have any inroads or information on who's who. You know, who should I be talking to? Who should I ask questions to? So I joined MUFON. And I became an investigator, state section director, then chief investigator and star team member. And after I did that in 2007, and um, a great outfit, no problem, but I just wasn't getting any more answers than I was before. And being that I have a law enforcement background, I thought, well, maybe, maybe I should do this differently. I shouldn't do it like everybody's telling me to do it. Maybe I should do it the way I want to do it. So I started the UFO Research Center in Pennsylvania, and um, instead of the norm of reporting, we kind of go at it on a forensic basis where we'll take the report, we'll do background on the location, um, we'll do uh, past histories on sightings in that particular area, uh, we'll talk to the people face-to-face if we can, and, and most of the times we do get to do that. Um, we uh, put out a, um, well, actually two uh, mobile units which are fully equipped. They have everything from satellite communications, computers, uh, infrared cameras, uh, CCTV cameras. I mean, they have everything in them, all kinds of radio communications. And, you know, when we get out there, we can set up our canopy, our tables, fire up the generator. Get, you know, we can do everything, including making a pot of coffee. Hmm. Wow. Which really draws police departments. <clears throat> The only thing we don't supply is donuts. <laughs> they can have the coffee, but I'm not buying donuts. <laughs> and it's, it's how, uh, we have a multi-talented group. We're in, in 12 states, two, two groups over in Europe. 
one in Poland and one in England. Uh, everybody has uh, either a long-time uh, association with ufology, cryptozoology, or the paranormal, or um, they have police backgrounds, they have uh, backgrounds in law, um, forensic sciences, um, we have a doctor. So, I mean, you know, we pretty much covered everything, which really makes it neat because if one of the guys or girls has a question, they don't have to just bounce it off of one person or, you know, their neighbor. They can bounce it off all these investigators in the group by just putting out an email and get all kind of feedback and maybe something heard something like this before or maybe there's something similar that they came across in the past or present. And it just seems to work out a whole lot nicer and easier. And um, and we've gotten some really great results with it. Wow, that's pretty cool. So, so did you ever find out what it was? Any any idea at all what you saw? Did you just run to a roadblock or a, a wall? Yeah, nobody nobody knew anything. Nobody. I mean, even the guy across the street, the the, the federal prisons guy. I mean, you know, Jack was, uh, you know, he had connections, and he got yeah. stonewalled at every question he asked, no matter where it was, local, state, or federal. So there we were. We all saw what we saw. What was the basic I, shape? Was it a big triangle, a big square? What was it? It uh, from the ground up, it looked like a tube. Okay, a but huge tube. A huge tube, but it tapered at both ends. Now it could have been on an angle, and it could have been flat. It could have been a yeah. saucer. Yeah. But from the angle that we were looking at it, everybody said the same thing. It just looked like a big tube with crimped ends. You know, it also could have been uh, uh, the the one end of a triangle. Yes, exactly. It could have been the back end of a triangle, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Well, I, well, I know a lot of times, you know, uh, it, that's been reported as being like cigar-shaped. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, uh, or, or they, it used to be, it used to be called a shape like that, you know, like a, like a mothership type shape. Right, right. You know, due due to its size lot, and things A lot like depends that. on the angle you're looking at it. I right. mean, you know, uh, I investigated a case two years ago down in Exeter Township, Pennsylvania, where a guy saw a, uh, he thought it was a square. And he said, there we stood in the parking lot, you know, like 10, 12 people and himself staring at this thing over, over, that was going over a mall very slowly. And he said the only thing odd about it was when it turned, he said, kind of looked like it was not a square anymore or a rectangle. It kind of looked like a triangle. So I guess it was the viewing angle that they were looking at as it passed. But then, you know, you get people that see overheads that it's a definite triangle. But the most reported, I think, here in the state is orbs. Um, They're very similar. Uh, Some of the cases are just flat out, just unbelievable. Uh, I investigated a case in Washington State where one passed six foot away from a guy. He could have reached out and touched it. And he described it as um, about the size of a large beach ball, uh, red but translucent, uh, some faint white sparks coming around the outside of it. That's the way he described it. And he said the inside of it looked like a lava lamp. And he said, you know what one of those looks like? I said, yeah, I have one on my desk. <laughs> and um, just uh, a week ago, we got a report from here in eastern Pennsylvania and the lady's describing exactly, exactly the same thing. Color, That's interesting. Lava, yeah, no, lava uh, lamp type movement inside. Yeah. And um, 
So when I started looking that up, there were quite a few reports I found that, that gave that yeah. description of a, of a translucent, some, sometimes different colors, more orange than red, um, but all said the same thing. It looked like a lava lamp movement inside. So We've heard that on the show before. Uh, a guy named Chris Brown was on, and he described something very similar, a red light, kind of like a lava lamp. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you I don't know. Tim? Very similar. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Pe- people call them scout ships. Um, yeah. I think that's kind so of the name like that's kind of. Yeah, that's yeah. kind of the name that's kind of stuck with them. Um, they definitely don't look like a Chinese lantern. You know, they're not a flare. Uh, their movements they, are very erratic. But they, but they don't look mechanical. No. Mm-mm. So and could some, this actually be an entity of some kind? Yeah, yeah, that, and sometimes, uh, you know, they'll stop and they'll disappear. They'll yep. reappear and break into twos or threes, yep. and then those will disappear, and they'll come back, and they'll be six or eight, and then they'll disappear, and they'll come back as one. So, you know, who knows yeah. what we're looking at? We don't know. Right. Oh, that, yeah, uh, that doesn't sound at all like a mechanical device. And no, uh, and you know, uh, it kills me when people say to me, you know, well, what are they, and and who's piloting them? Well, if I knew that, I'd probably be the richest guy in the world. <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't know what. All, all I all I can say is I've seen sixteen in twenty six years, and not one time was I alone ever. In three instances, I was standing there with police officers, and the other instances, I was standing either with one, two, or more people, and everybody saw the same thing. So I know I'm not crazy. But I guess the first one was a strange one, but I had one stranger than that. Uh, I'm retired now, but I worked for a Fortune 500 company. And while I was working at the company, we went outside, leaving the, leaving the building for the campus for the day. And I just stopped and talking to a couple of employees of mine. And uh, I just happened to look to the west, and I saw this brilliant white light. And I thought it was the sun, but then I looked to my right, and there was the sun. So I thought, now, what the heck is that? And everybody now is looking at it. And I'm looking at it, and I'm looking at the cam- at, for my camera, which is in my truck, which is parked clear across the parking lot. And I'm figuring, by the time I run from where I'm at to there, the ambulance is going to pick me up halfway point with a heart attack. So I just kept watching it, checked my watch, marked my time, did what I had to do, and it looked like it was slowing down. And I thought, hey, I'm going to get my ride. And it slowed down almost to a stop, still bright white. It was like looking at a flashbulb continually. You couldn't stare at it. Uh, And um, it went vertical, turned cherry red, brightest cherry red I've ever seen. I mean, it it was unbelievable red and shot straight up into the sky. And the one guy standing beside of me looked at me, and he just stared at me for a second. He said, that's the biggest helicopter I ever saw until this day, <laughs> till this day. And he only lives a few blocks away from me. Till this day, you ask him, and he'll tell you it was a helicopter. So I'm driving home. I figure, well, I'm still with MUFON, so I'm driving home. I figure, well, I'll call it in, make a report, get on the computer. So I get in here, and I'm sitting here thinking about it. I go, okay, let me get this done. So I, I put it into CMS, and not 10 minutes after, even less than that probably, that my phone rang, and it was one of my investigators up in northern Pennsylvania. And he said, did you just see this report of this white light down in, in, in Berks County? 
And I said, yeah, I saw it. I re- I'm the guy that reported it. He says, oh, yeah, okay, I see it now. He says, that is kind of strange. I said, yeah, it was strange. I said, you know, but that's what happened, and there's the time and everything else. And he said, no, that's not what I'm talking about. He says, hit your enter button. So I hit my enter button, which brought up another report. It was identical to mine. Husband and wife were unloading groceries approximately 90 miles from where I saw mine standing. Reported the exact same thing, and the time difference was one minute. Mine was 6.10, they were 6.11. Hmm. Exact was... same thing. Wow. Well, and, so, and, and, and where were they located from, uh, from about you? About 90 miles from me. They were oh, up, wow. They were up they were up in Lackawanna County, which is the northwestern northeastern part of the way northeastern part of the state. I'm in the southeastern part. Yeah. And so with that in mind, if they saw that like I saw it, this thing had to be huge. I mean huge. So got a hold of a professor over to over at the local college and talked to him about it. And I, a math professor, I said, Do you think you could figure out if I gave you something and gave you all this stuff from, you know, there to here and the time difference and all. I said, could you give me a rough estimate of how big this thing might have been? He said, well, he said, yeah, probably. About three days later, he sent me a thing. He said, it had to be 300, at minimum, 350 feet across. Minimum. For them to see what I saw and give the same dimensions, you know, the same exact what I said. Right. He said it would have to be, at minimum, 350 feet across. Hmm. What, co- what color? What color was it? Was it silver? Nope, bright white, bright, bright white. white. Yeah, it was nothing other than you could not see any um, outline of of anything. It was just a a. It was um, sort of flat. When I say sort of flat, if you would take a circle and maybe crush it halfway, and then there was a peak coming out the left and the right side that almost half the size of the of the ball itself the, the middle and when it went vertical it stayed the same shape it did not change only color and it just went almost instantaneously from the bright white to the bright red and then just shot straight up i mean straight up it just disappeared into the heavens what time of the day was this about 6 p.m mm, okay all right that was in the middle of the summer, so it was still light out. The sun was still up. And um, it was uh, probably the best sighting that I had because I really was looking at what I kind of knew what to do when I did see something, as opposed to 1989 when I stood there with my mouth open catching flies. <laughs> it was uh, it was quite an experience. And uh, a lot of the ones that we see... Um, our our fast trackers, you know, they'll go from horizon to horizon in a matter of less than a second, zigzagging across, or they'll stop and shoot straight up, or they'll stop and drop and make a U and come back up and then take off again and shoot straight up, or they'll go back and forth and then disappear. I mean, those are the kind of things we've documented. And uh, so, you know, the fast walkers, they're not satellites. They're too fast. They're way too fast. I mean, when you see something cross the horizon to horizon, in a clear viewing area, and, you know, in less than a second or a millisecond. I mean, it's just, and it's zigzagging. It's not going straight like a meteor or a bolide or anything like that or shooting stars. Right. 
you, it, we don't have anything like that. And and if you were going that fast, and if just say we had a spacecraft like that, and it was going that fast, and in mid in mid flight it stopped, well, you'd pour the pilots out in a jar. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and no, no sonic boom or anything like that either. No, no, they make no noise at all, none was, And you would think at the speed they're going, right. the the crack and and would just sh- shake you right to your bones, but it, there's no sound. Which There's again, no sound, and we only wonder. ever had one change color, yeah. and that was another one that was just crossing the sky very fast, zigzagging, and it was a bright, bright, bright white. Um, and yeah. about the middle of the flight where we saw it, it turned yellow, red, blue, back to white, and kept on going. You know that's always intrigued me the fact that UFOs can move so fast, but they don't apparently displace air because there's no sonic boom. And you have to ask yourself: Is this because they're not really physical at the time that they're seen? Are they mm-hmm. another state of matter, of some sort? Yeah, well, I mean, that that, and you got to remember the fact too that they're way up there. I mean, they're yeah. they're in the heavens. They're not they're not yeah. flying at thirty thousand like a jet or forty thousand like a jet. They're, those things yeah. are up in those. They're way up there. I mean, and when you see them. You know, you look at a star, and you can imagine in your mind you're looking at a sky full of stars, and you know how small they look to you. They just look like little pinpricks in the sky, shiny, bright. And then you see something that's brighter than they are, you know, flying there. Uh, you know, looks like they're below the stars, and then shoot up into those stars and just vanish. And it's just, um, they're there. I mean, we know they're there. I mean, I'm sure they're here. I'm sure they've been here for thousands of years, um, but I guess the big question is, who are they and what do they want? Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, there's there's been cases where people have uh, have seen an object that I mean, it was close enough that they could have thrown a rock. Oh yeah. And hit it, and it would suddenly just uh, uh, fly away uh, at at just an incredible amount of speed. Yet there's no sound, no wind, even. Nope. Yeah, you know, and that's, so there, was that's... A case, there was a case we looked at in Arkansas where, and it's a multiple site, a multiple person sighting, and it's um, a, evidently a small community, a gated community, all retirees, and uh, the person that made the report actually worked for NASA, and he said he and his wife and and uh, three sets of neighbors, six people besides themselves, were having a small barbecue type thing on the back porch, and this thing just came above the trees and he said i'm going to describe it as a disc he said that's the best i can get you he said a disc a circular disc he said above the trees i'm going to say 500 feet maybe he said there was no noise no sound nothing was disrupted uh, nobody had any ill feelings or you know anxiety we just all stared at it and he said by the time i got my camera out of my holster it was gone and he said that was it. It just appeared, was there, and gone. And he said, it left, and it was just like it was never there. And you would think, being that close, if, if there was some type of propulsion that we, what we would call propulsion, there would be wind or noise or a hum or something. But these things are dead silent. They just do not, they just do not work like anything we know. Right. And now that, you know, infrared has come such a long way, 
you know, you can film this stuff now, or you know, just point a camera to the sky in infrared, turn your infrared on, make sure you have a pinhole lens cover on it so it don't burn out the infuser. But um, you can photograph these things going in and out of clouds all day long. Uh, I got three videos here, uh, three CDs from a guy up in School County, Pennsylvania. He mounts three cameras actually on a, a bar that he made up for two tripods, and he just turns them on. And he said, some days I see something, and some days I don't see anything. But he said, here's what we got. And he sent them to me, and I looked at them, and I just, you know, yeah, that's what they are. Now, those are broad daylight. So how many others are in the broad daylight in infrared that we don't see? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I've, I've seen some really intriguing ones that, you know, people have taken at night uh, mm-hmm. using, using these, uh, um, you know, like uh, night cameras. That uh, they say that you know, with the naked eye, they can't see anything going by. Yet the cameras are picking up. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, a lot of times, you know, like especially triangular formations of these objects, just uh, just just shooting by overhead at a very uh, very rapid rate. And you know, sometimes, like you said, they'll they'll stop, reverse course, or, or go back again, or or do some of the typical <laughs> UFO maneuvers. You know, falling leaf motion, things like that. So I mean, it's, and you know. Uh, Okay, catching them on camera is tough. Yes, um, it is. You know, we set up when we set up our cameras, we set up an array, so we kind of cover a large area from left to right, and um, some will be aimed real high, some will be just a little bit lower, and some will be down below, to so we catch a full spectrum. But um, you know, we've had it where we picked up something on one camera and it gets the other camera, and it, well, it's not there. Hmm. Uh, what we did this year, and we just we just got it not too long about a month and a half ago. We got it. We bought a time lapse camera, and it's wide angle. It's uh, set up to shoot affinity, and it'll shoot one photograph every half second. Uh, it can shoot one photograph every up to three minutes, and it can, I can set it on uh, a rapid setting, which will photograph ten photographs in one second, and. Um, it's, you know, it's one of those plug it in. It's in a waterproof case. It's on a mount. I can mount it up on top of the truck or I can mount it on a tripod, uh, point it up and forget it. I can run a lead from that to my laptop and I can sit in the truck behind the, in the seat there and just look at the laptop that's mounted in the truck and watch it. And at the same time, it's recording. Hmm. And there's a 32 gig card in it, so. It can go a long time. Batteries will last about eight days with one photograph per second, I believe it is. So that's oh, a, that, no, something that, new we're yeah. going to try anyway. Yeah, that'll be interesting. Now, are there any uh, specific areas that, that, that you know of right now that seem to be uh, hot spots that, uh, that you could take some something like that out and, uh, you know, could be fairly confident that you may be able to catch something? I would say uh, right now in our state... Um, Eastern and North Central seem to be hot spots right now. But they're not only hot spots for UFOs, they're hot spots for cryptids and creature sightings and, you know, so I don't, I don't necessarily understand yet what people are talking about when they're saying Bigfoot's interdimensional because, or they try to connect it with ufology because they'll say, well, 
you know, uh, an alien can walk through a wall. Well, a ghost can walk through a wall, so that means that they're both com- they're both connected. So ufology is the paranormal, or vice versa. Now, I need to really see some proof on that one. <laughs> but uh, the same thing with you know Bigfoot tracks. They'll see many. You'll see many reports where somebody sees what they think is a Bigfoot, and it's walking across a field, and it'll just disappear. Or they'll fo- they'll be tracking it through the woods, and it'll just disappear. So, the interdimensional thing, I'm not quite sold on. Is it possible? Sure, anything's possible. But yeah. Well, um, you know, interdimensional is a big word. Yeah. I mean, I, I, Tim, a lot and I territory. About this. Yeah, yeah. Tim and I have both written about this. And, you know, they could be picked up, airlifted. They could be disappearing underground. They could be uh, altering their density in some way, just like UFOs do. I mean, we just don't well, know. Well, we, we just had a report. None of that, yeah, none of that stuff's inter- interdimensional. You know what I yeah, mean? We just had a report uh, two months ago, I guess. It was, no, eight, no, it was back in November. November 6th, as a matter of fact. I got a report from a guy who's walking his two dogs. This is up in north-central Pennsylvania at a state game lands. Um, he had two Weimaranas. He takes them for walks all the time. He's lived in the area all his life. He's hunted that area all his life. He's a retired airline and Air Force pilot, 40 years. Takes a dog, parks his truck, gets the dogs out, takes them for their walk. They're walking up a fire trail, and what they call a fire trail there is, it's just a trail that's been widened big enough for fire trucks to get through in case of a forest fire. Mm-hmm. So, but it's a nice walking area. <clears throat> it's usually free of brush and debris. I mean, they keep those open all the time. So he right. goes up to, he gets about 150 yards in away from his truck, and the dogs start to go berserk. Now, these dogs, he says, are not that way. They don't do that. You could run a rabbit in front of them and just look at it and go like, what the hell was that, you know? And they freak, and they're heading toward the right-hand side of the road to the to the woods, abutted on both sides by a heavily wooded area. He said, I'm holding them back as best I can. He said, they're actually digging holes in the ground with their front feet to get away from me to get to whatever's in there. So he said at first he thought it might be a deer, maybe a bear, it could be a skunk, could be anything. He said, and out of the woods just walks this, and this is his words, uh, um, a creature, not Bigfoot. He said, I know what a Bigfoot's supposed to look like. He said, this looked like a hairy man. Hmm. He said, short hair, dark brown or black. He said, no long swinging arms like Patty in the Gimlin film. Uh, nothing like that. He said, it was not Bigfoot. He said, just forget that. He said, about seven foot, maybe eight foot tall, uh, very muscular, um, no tail, no ears protruding. He said, but what it did have, he said, which I noticed immediately, was a protruding snout. Now, he said, I don't mean a snout like my Weimaran is like a dog. He said, I mean a snout like maybe a pug, you know, uh, or maybe a, a bulldog, you know, short but pronounced. He said, it walked across the road, the dog was still going crazy, walks into the other side and disappears in the woods. He said, here's the best part. He said, it never looked at me or the dogs. It's like we weren't there. We didn't exist. Now, he said, I don't know about you, but if two dogs are ripping at their leashes trying to get to me, I'm going to keep my eye on the dogs. I said, well, yeah, that's just common sense. (laughs) Got to find a tree to climb or something. He said, this thing never looked at me. He said, never looked at the dogs. He said, paid us no attention whatsoever, like we just weren't there. So he said, "Uh, I'm going to go back uh, tomorrow with a couple friends of mine and looked the area over and I said well just be careful you know and get back to me 
he got back to me that evening, which was a Sunday, and he said, uh, here's what happened. He said, we, I got a couple buddies together. We armed ourselves with rifles and um, went up there, saw exactly where it was because there's the two holes from the dogs. We walked into the right, maybe 100 yards, nothing, no big deal. Walked across to the left, got about 50 yards in there, and we all looked at each other and all had the same thought. We need to get out of here. We need to get out of here right now. And he said, we backed out with our weapons pointed forward to where we were leaving, got in the truck, and I'm never going back there again. Never. I will never step foot in that state park again. I said, well, what happened? What did you see? He said, we didn't see anything. I said, well, what happened? He said, I don't know. He said, but I just had this fear that I should not be there, and I need to leave right this minute, and I did. Hmm. said, my yeah, buddy tr- had this tr- same feeling. Instincts. Trust your instincts, yeah. This kind of reminds me of some of David Pilates' uh, research. People disappear. That's all I'll say. Mm -hmm. So, people disappear a lot more than people realize, and it's not just. Yes, they do. Yes, you know when you look at David's work, you know David kind of keeps his stuff involved in the state parks. When I first got involved in looking at the abduction stuff. It was, to me, you know, I actually, I did it by mistake, or uncalled for mistake, anyway. I was speaking at a conference, and they said, could I change my program to do abductions, because somebody that was going to do abductions couldn't do it. They weren't going to be there. I said, okay. So, although I knew kind of what abduction was all about, I started, I had a month to get ready, so started looking at it, and about the middle of what I was looking at, I thought, well, you know, just how many people can be missing? What are we talking about here? 100, 200, 300 people? Right. So uh, the best bet was to check the NCIC, uh, National Crime Inst- uh, Information Center. Their statistics, which are updated, they're always a year or a year and a half late, but they're yeah. pretty much on time. What it is is they send out to every police department a pile of papers. It's a questionnaire. And every I don't care how big your... T- department is or how small it is. I don't care if you got one man or you got 5,000 men, you're going to fill that out and send it back to them, uh, the FBI. So what it is, is it'll start out like how many rapes, first of all, how many people in your township, how many police officers, how many cars, how many this, how many that. And then it gets to the nitty gritty where they'll say, well, how many rapes did you have? How many robberies? How many break-ins? How many bicycles were stolen? How many, you know, it, it covers everything from bicycles and petty theft right down to flat out murder. And, you know, when I did that, I went, okay, so we, I get into that a little bit more, and the statistics were just mind-blowing. They're just out of, they're just unbelievable. Um, I just did 2000, I started in 2008, and I went to, um, uh, just for that year, and in that year alone, 778,000 missing persons reports were filed just for one year. About 95% of those are found. 75% are runaways, 18, under 18 years of age. And another 20% of that is spousal abuse, murders, elderly walkaways, ransoms, kidnaps, you know, that kind of stuff. But the number that sticks out is 5% are never found. So that means there's 38,000 people that are never found. No Bodies, no clothing, no evidence, no nothing. They're just gone. They just 
like men, women, and children, doesn't matter. They're just gone. Age bracket doesn't matter. They're gone. So then I went back to 1991, and I went up to 2009, which was available at that time. And I just finished 2013, and the numbers didn't change hardly at all. So just going from 91 to 2013, there were 14,800,000 people uh, reported missing. Again, when you get to the bottom line and they're never found, it comes out to that same 5%. Yeah. Well, so you know, average, I the, it averages I out to 40,000 people a year are never found. That's just the United States. Yeah. That's right. And I, I looked at that in caverns, cultures, and concealed creatures way back using data from the 90s. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it, you know, if you, if you factor in people that are recovered, people that are just want to disappear, mm-hmm. people who are runaways, um, you're going to have a certain percentage who are abducted, who just disappear for, you know, uh, serial killer, cults, these kinds of things. There's always that percentage. But once yep. they, you know, you factor all that stuff in, you're still basically missing, I think it comes out to 2,200 people a day in the United States mm-hmm. that have no explanation. They're just gone. Yeah. They're just, now, they're... If that, it, yeah. So if that number of people just disappeared from a disease, from a faulty product, uh, on the marketplace from a war or an invasion or anything that was in the news or that they think is newsworthy, the uproar would be just tremendous. It would be on the TV all the time. Okay. Yeah, that's all it would be on the it's TV. Not, that's right. But it's not. It's totally ignored. It's ignored by the media. It's ignored supposedly by the government. I don't really think they're ignoring it. I don't think they can do anything about it. But mm-hmm. if you think about that kind of, that kind of, uh, activity going on in the United States, which has more media than anywhere on the planet. Think what's going on in the third world. Oh, yeah. The second world. Yeah. How many people are disappearing never to be seen again? You start thinking about this happening year after year, year after year, and it is happening, and it always has. You're talking about something that, like I've said before in in writing, something that's akin to the harvesting of a crop. Yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty good. I like that. You're probably right because look, look, a whole village could disappear in South Africa. Do you think anybody takes cares about that? No, that's actually you know that's actually happened, right? Yes, yes, it's happened. Well, it's happened many times. Yes, uh, there was just a, a, a I believe it was two years ago where a, a, a photographer who spent a lot of time in South Africa went over to complete a, a study that he was doing on a certain tribe. And he said there were like a thousand people in that village, and the, you know they had the cattle, they had the buildings. They said, I mean, he got there, the buildings were there, the cattle were gone, the people were gone. It looked like the place was just left yesterday. He said there were pots. They weren't cooking, but there were pots on stoves filled with food. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there was feed out for the animals. There was uh, you know water in jugs. I mean, it's just he said it's just like they up and vanished. They didn't take anything with them. I mean, everything was there. Weapons, spears, bows, um, tools, uh, clothing, uh, the medicine man's hut, which was filled with uh, all kind of you know potions and stuff like that, was still filled with all kind of potions, but he wasn't there. So yeah. where'd they go? It's happened so many times. It's happened even with ships at sea. Oh it's yeah, happened. I was just I was just getting ready to say that. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah ships at sea, airplanes. Yep, in, in, in an entire village of Eskimos or yep. Inuit disappeared yep. and their food was still hot i believe yeah yes it was which is quite a quite interesting since they were in the arctic um 
yeah, so these things do happen, and you know, there's always some kind of lame explanation, you know, oh, yeah. some sort of postulation. But the fact is, the cold hard fact is that at least 2,200 people a day in the United States disappear without explanation. They're not runaways. They're not hiding from the law. They're not changing their identity. You know, they're not murdered. They're just gone. Mm-hmm. And we have to start asking, what's going on with this? You know, what, why isn't the media covering this? Well, it's when you think about it, you know, between that, human mutilations, abductions, uh, you're really talking about the dark side of ufology. And that doesn't sell books. That doesn't make for good conferences because then people start to ask questions. And that's what they don't want. They just don't. They just don't. Yeah, it's, it, it's, it's, it's well, too scary, scary for a lot of people yeah. to contemplate. Yeah. 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 It's, well, it's even. You know, it's not something that the government would want people to be asking about because there's nothing they could do about it. Or are there, is there some degree of complicity? Exactly. Yeah, so if, if they don't know about it, that's one thing. But if they do know about it, that's a whole other thing. It's just like disclosure. You know, everybody thinks that one of these days the government's just going to come out and just spill the beans on everything. That's never yeah. going to happen. Because yeah. once they do that, nobody will believe a word the government says. I mean, the government could well, say, well, hey, a meteor is going to hit five minutes. Nobody believe them. Well, well, not just that, Butch, but no matter what they say, it could be a lie. Yeah. Disinformation. Mm-hmm. A false flag. You know, mm-hmm. manipulation. You know, disinformation. You know, it, you just can't go by whatever they tell you. And, you know, I'm, I'm not a, a big believer in UFOs from far, far away. I, I think that whatever's going on is localized, you know, to the vicinity of the Earth and, and our general solar system. And I think it's always been here. It's it's, it's part of, of this reality here. And I think the greatest deception we've had is this, oh, yeah, yeah, look way out there. See those stars? That's where we come from. Yeah, we're from way over there. That's where we're from because we don't want you looking here. We don't want you looking under the mountain, under the sea, on your own moon. We don't want you looking right here where you are. Yeah, we come from so far away you can't possibly figure out where we're from. There's no well, way. Well, you, you know, if you just go back a few years when Phobos was a big thing. Yeah. You know, everybody, when, when people started questioning Phobos, the very first people to come out and deny it was the government. It wasn't scientists. It wasn't other ufologists. It was the government that said, oh, no, we've looked at that many, many times. It's just a dead moon. Well, okay. Yeah. And everybody believed it. And that was the end of the study on Phobos. So. Yeah. Yeah, we, we don't talk about Phobos much anymore, do we? Except mm-hmm. for, of course, we know what happened to the to the Russian probe that was sent that way, and and a few other anomalies yeah, that people don't want to talk about anymore. But then you look at Iaptus. You know about it, Iaptus, which is that you know around Saturn. Um, isn't that where it is, or is it Neptune? I'm trying to remember. But anyway, Iaptus is basically a Death Star. I mean, it's it is two geodesic domes that have been fitted together with a mile high seam. It's perfectly symmetrical that runs around the entire center of the so-called moon. It looks like something, you know, out of Star Wars, something that sat there and rotted in space for several million years. Mm-hmm. But there's no way in hell that that's a natural object. Well, when when Star Wars was developed, a lot of the stuff, like the the shape of the Death Star with the you know the uh, the destructor in the middle, you know, the big round circle, and that was yeah. modeled after Phobos. They mm-hmm. took that hole yeah. that's in Phobos, and they put right. it onto their model of Death Star. And that's where that came from. 
it originally was going to have, I saw the, uh, some of the original drawings years ago, where it was supposed to just be a hump of, of like a crystal, and it was going to be a crystal that actually fired the Death Star. And then uh, they took that indentation and hole from Phobos and, of course, made that field, death field there. But it's it's never-ending. I mean, I'll never see it. In my, see an end to it in my lifetime, never. I mean, there's something new pops up every day, whether it's a creature or it's a, um, uh, a, a, a paranormal yeah. phenomenon or... Or, or ufology. I mean, there's just something right. new every day. Well, you know what it is? Two things. First, knowledge is power. Mm-hmm. And the second thing is that it is true that the more we learn as individuals and as a society and as a civilization, the more we learn, the more we realize how little we know. Exactly. Right. Oh, yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay, gentlemen, I'm going to interrupt you here because it's uh, it's time for us to go to our next break. So, uh, Butch, would we come back? Um, I'd like to uh, uh, talk a little bit about uh, your investigation into the uh, Todd C's incident. Okay. And uh, I, I know that's uh, that's a case that's uh, fascinated me for a long time, and uh, uh, you seem to be about the only one who has really. Um, has really done some uh, uh, some in-depth investigation into this case. So let's go ahead and do our break here. You are listening to The Outer Edge on the PSN Radio Network. I'm Tim Swartz. Tonight we are talking with Butch Watowski, and we will be right back in just a few minutes, so please stay tuned. It is about the implementation of the mark of the beast. I spoke to you about that, I think, two weeks ago. We addressed Revelation chapter 13, verses 16, 17, and 18. And he calls it all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hands, or in their foreheads, that no man might buy or sell, say he had the mark or the name or the number of the beast. Here is wisdom. Let him that have understanding count the number of the beast. For it is the number of a man. His number is six hundred three score and six. They said Halloween 2012 Just about three steps from hell Three slices cross the juggles Before we fail Pull back the veil That's where he gets thin Feel that knife along the side of his ribs And crawl inside his skin Wearing asshole Non-believer like a bathrobe Splash phones with acid scar face Reversal speech in this verse If you wanna hear Satan When we speaking back We're sharpening up the swords And battle axes Darking up the skies On the doomed planet As it spins off its axis Let the trumpets go on and blow As the earthquakes And the dirt shakes down below the ground splits and starts steaming UFOs coming through them stargates And earth gets flooded by abominations Revelations try to tell the people Battle with a guy's patience Prophesy vision what they were seeing You're gonna live on your knees or die Imagine no longer being tied down to your computer But having the freedom to take live talk radio with you Anywhere you go TalkStream Live introduces our first ever iPhone application The talk shows you follow Now follow you and your iPhone is now the fastest and easiest way to stay connected to the best talk radio on the Internet. Listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Mobile talk radio from TalkStream Live. Now available in the iTunes App Store. 
Up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's SupermanHomePage.com, the number one Superman fan site in the world. SupermanHomePage.com, covering the world of Superman from the 1930s to today. News, reviews, rumors, and reports. SupermanHomePage.com, for all your Superman comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, radio shows, and more. Everything you ever wanted to know about the man of steel and more superman homepage.com talk stream live introduces our first ever iphone application mobile talk radio imagine having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go you'll be surprised how easy it is to use so i think what's going on here is that obama is banking on unemployment falling listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day seven days a week talk stream live now available in the iTunes App Store. All systems are functional. And going to pass the reins to Mr. Jackal, the new king of radio. This is the Oz Man, one of the voices in the Jackal's head. Are we alone in the universe? Now, I'm a voice of the Jackal's head. But it's a good show. Is there life after death? I'm Nick Pope, and now I'm a voice inside the Jackal's head. Is the government keeping secrets from us? This is Stephen Bassett, and uh, I am now a voice inside the Jackal's head. Will the Cubs ever win the World Series? <laughs> I am now a voice inside the Jackal's head. And that was Lloyd Pye. <laughs> who the hell are these voices inside my head? Listen live on the Jackal's head and find out. <laughs> Join the club that gives you stuff. Hey, thanks. Radio loyalty. Here's how it works. Just click on the radio loyalty banner right now and sign up. Then you keep on listening like you already do. But now you earn points. Those points add up and you can trade them in for stuff in the radio loyalty store. Earn more points by sharing your station with friends on Facebook and Twitter, answering surveys, and by using the apps in the new players app store. Pretty simple, right? Radio loyalty. Click that banner to join now. Roswell. UFOs, flying saucers, alien abduction, are we alone? Information regarding this and many other questions about the unknown are only a click away at www.theufostore.com. Theufostore.com offers hundreds of DVDs about UFOs, aliens, crop circles, conspiracies, Bigfoot, suppressed science, ancient mysteries. Log on to www.theufostore.com and request a free UFO store catalog. Theufostore.com, the largest selection of UFO products on the Internet. You're listening to The Outer Edge Radio with William Michael Mott and Tim Schwartz, only on PSN Radio. Outer Edge. I'm Tim Swartz with Mike Mott and our guest tonight, Butch Witoski. And uh, before our uh, break, uh, Butch, we had been talking about missing people, human mutilations, and thing like things like that. And I know that um, 
even though we don't read too much about it, there have been some really disturbing cases of people who have been found uh, dead with um, mutilations that that uh, appear very similar to the you know kind of like the ubiquitous uh, cattle mutilations. And there was an interesting case that uh, that took place there in Pennsylvania um, involving a man by the name of uh, Todd Sees. And uh, this happened in, uh, what, like 2002, I think. Uh, he and, was uh, actually, it actually, uh, 2000, uh, 2002, uh, August 4th, he disappeared. Okay, okay. Well, why don't, you, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about this case? Because, I mean, it's, uh, I don't think it's... Uh, 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 very common knowledge. What happened to this guy? Uh, well, we've been at it five years now, uh, working on this case, and um, you know we find something new pretty much every day. But anyway, mm-hmm. um, to bring your readers up to date, uh, listeners, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he was last seen alive on eight four of uh, two thousand two. He's a thirty. He's thirty nine year old white Caucasian male. Lived in rural north rural area of Northumberland County. He was employed as a drug, uh, bread truck driver. Um, he was last seen about one o'clock in the morning. His routine uh, on that particular day was he was going to leave the home about five o'clock in the morning and go out and uh, on his ATV and spot deer for the coming deer season. Uh, he was normally back by noon, but this particular day he didn't come back at noon and by. 2.30, his wife panicked and his family called the police. Search party showed up, was organized, and um, he had 200-some-plus searchers, police, state police helicopters, state police, local police, firemen, uh, cadaver dogs, search dogs, a diver even dove the pond on the property, um, covered this, they just covered that six square miles of Northumberland Ridge. They did find the ATV. Uh, it was a mile away from the home uh, in a power line strip, and um, no sign of Todd. The uh, they shut it down for the first night, and then uh, they started all over again first light, and uh, at approximately 9:54, I believe 9:53. I'm sorry, 753, uh, the body was located on his property about 150 yards behind his home. Um, so uh, the coroner gets there, and the coroner says that he was dead for uh, 24 hours. He'd been missing for 39. Um, then he changed it to 24 to 35 hours dead. Hmm. The body was... Uh, in bad shape. It was um, in uh, advanced stages of uh, uh, decomposition, which by all that we've been able to locate through forensic doctors and pathologists, that would not happen. Um, This was definitely not going to be an open casket. Um, A a boot was found in a tree. Uh, He was found in shorts. Uh, socks and t-shirt he actually went out in boots shorts socks t-shirt and uh, camouflage coveralls um, there was no trauma to the body we have the autopsy report 
so there was no trauma like broken bones or anything like that. Uh, basically, he was a normal, healthy 39-year-old male. He had no diseases, no lung issues, heart issues, brain issues, internal issues at all. No cancer, no nothing. He was uh, His body was unremarkable. The body was covered with scratches and cuts and bruises, and there was a large one on the head, <clears throat> on the right lobe, uh, right lobe side. Um, he was pronounced dead um, at the time he was found by the coroner who said he didn't pronounce him dead. He blamed it on some other coroner that hadn't been coroner for two years. So what it started off with as just, you know, we were just following up on something that Peter Davenport had put out years prior, but it just didn't make sense, you know, that why would the coroner say that? So after back and forth with the coroner for almost a year and a half, we got the autopsy report and um, toxicology report because they said in the end that he died of a uh, drug overdose of cocaine. All signs sounds kind of simple, you know, and that's really what rang up all the red flags. First of all, uh, he was a mile of the unit. His ATV is found a mile from his home, okay? So you've got 200-plus searchers, cadaver dogs, search dogs, state police helicopter all over that mountain, and nobody sees him, and he doesn't see them. That's number one for two days. Uh, he's found on his property. How did he get there? Nobody saw him. They had to walk past that spot to get up to the trail that led to where you go into that area, up onto the ridge. So that's another thing. And you have um, the boot in the tree, which we can't really pin down yet. Uh, the keys are missing from the ATV. They never found those. They did find his clothes weeks and weeks afterwards, and the person, family member that we were talking to said that, okay, yeah, they found the clothes. There was nothing in the pockets at all, and the clothes get turned over to the police department, who also lied to us, said they were the investigating force investigating it when it was actually the state police that were investigating it, and they said they found cocaine in the pocket. Huh. Now, if it was my family member out there, and that's that was a similar circumstance, I'd have took the cocaine out of the pocket and buried it. I would not desecrate him any more than he already has been. So then we started looking at the autopsy report, and we shared it with doctors and forensic scientists and with pathologists who all went like, mm, something's not quite right here, because the amount of degraded cocaine in this guy's body, if it had gotten there ingested or injected or however, this guy would have took about two steps and fell over dead. Hmm. Uh, he would have had to be a really, really hardcore drug user to do that amount of cocaine to get that amount of degraded cocaine in his blood the other thing was they couldn't get any blood out of the chest which every autopsy i attended to as a police officer they always took blood from the chest because that's where the blood is it wells up in the chest because it's the largest vacuum area you know it's the largest cavity they couldn't get any out of him so they took it from his leg his lower leg which is kind of strange and usually that would be done if you have a body that is just destroyed, mangled, you know. There you just there's nothing left to do that. That and uh uh the toxicology report, we got the first three pages, there should have been twelve pages, they only sent us the first three which told us, you know, what was done 
I mean, what was found, it doesn't tell us what was done to get to that point. Um, then we have a report, a UFO report by uh, Davenport that same day that says some fishermen and a farmer, farmer in the field, fisherman on the, on the river, runs right by below his house, that said they saw a craft of some sort above the power lines, and it looked like they were pulling a guy up there in his underwear. Well, he was found in socks, shorts, and a T-shirt. So at a distance, it might have looked like his underwear. So then we have, uh, as we're trying to get information, we kept being told that they can't give us any information from the district attorney's office or the police because it's an open case. Well, we have the autopsy report and we have the toxicology report, and they state there that he died of a cocaine overdose. So why is it an open case? In the state of Pennsylvania, and I'm sure in many other states, the only reason there's an open case is it's unsolved. It's either a murder or the body was never found or whatever. It's unsolved, period. That's the only way you can keep a case open. So now we start to go look at his background. Well, we talked to friends of his. Uh, he was very big into the Little League, always was, right to the very end. And the one guy looked at me and said, I want to tell you something. If we had a hint that he was using drugs of any type, he said he would have never got within a mile of these kids, period. He said, I don't believe a word of it. And we found that from other people also. Uh, family members, we have one or two that talk to us, uh, outright lied to us, and, you know, tried to feed us disinformation, this, that, and the other. You know, I mean, it's just, just went on and on and on. But the strangest part is, when we go to look into his background, we find nothing. No driver's license. He was a bread truck driver. No driver's license listed in Pennsylvania. No hunting license. He was a big-time hunter. No archery license, no fishing license, uh, no marriage license, no uh, property uh, ownership, um, no military record. No, you know, the only thing we found was a traffic ticket uh, three years prior to that, and he pled guilty to the fine, paid the fine of 65 or $75, and that was the end of it. Uh, I went into the uh, Social Security Death Index, and I looked up my father, who died in 1970. And um, there, his name, full name, date of birth, where he went to school, military service, my mom's name, uh, kids' names, where we lived, uh, everything. Everything you want to know, where he worked, what he did, blah, 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 right down to the very bottom. I pulled up Todd's. All it says there is his name, date of birth, date of death, no family information available, record closed. Huh. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I only know of one group of people that can do that, erase you. Yeah, I agree. So, uh, as time goes on, little bits and pieces keep coming out, you know. Um, the, 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 just the internal examination of this guy at the autopsy is unremarkable. I mean, this guy is basically a healthy, white, 39-year-old male. He has no problems, no issues whatsoever. Another thing that sticks out in the autopsy is they took no nasal swab uh, to test for cocaine. They relied strictly on blood. Uh, but everything else was just right as rain. So where was Todd for the 39 hours he was missing? And then he shows up on his own property. How did he get there? When the coroner says that he was dead, from 24 to 36 hours. 
if he was dead for 24 to 36 hours, I have just documented the first case of a real zombie. <laughs> and to to get to that from the from the ATV to the place where he was found, which was on the property near the pond, under a down tree, um, lying on his back, hand over his face, other hand over on his chest. He had to walk past everybody. Hmm. He wasn't there the first day. He wasn't there the second day until the body was spotted at 7, whatever it was, 7-something seven, seven at night. Okay, 7.54, I believe, at night. Now... The dogs, cadaver dogs. I worked with. I worked with a cadaver dog one time on a case. That dog found the body six foot under dirt. This thing was laying on top of the ground, and it didn't smell in the condition it was in. And the one family member said, "Well, it rained really hard that day. That's why the dogs didn't smell him." Hmm. Oh, I checked that. That was very easy to check through the local university that keeps all the record weather records for Pennsylvania. The rain for that day was zero. Point zero one inches. That doesn't even wet the windshield on my car. So we've got misinformation from the police, from the coroner. The pathologist didn't really do a great job, according to everybody we talked to. And here was this guy found on his own property, but he was gone for two days. And the shape he's in, it looks like he's been laying out there for almost two weeks. I mean, the condition of the body is just unbelievable. And I won't get into that because that gets really gory, but just unbelievable that that body decomposed that quick in, you know, less than 40 hours. And there was no rigor mortis. There was no liver mortis. Uh, I don't know why they couldn't find any blood in the chest cavity and they had to go to the lower leg. The amount of degraded co cocaine in the system was re unbelievable. And uh, we find, we checked with everybody we could think of that, you know, would know, like he was under, because one family member said, well, he was under treatment for cocaine for many years. Well, now wait a minute. All his friends say no, but you're saying the yes. So we checked with the two house, halfway houses, and court, we found nothing in the court records. We found nothing at the, the two halfway houses that handle uh, addicts, uh, have no record of him ever being there. And he would have been there because they're county, and he would have been sent there by the county, by the courts. There's no record of him in any court for anything. Matter of fact, there's no record for this guy anywhere. So what happened that day? That's what we're after. He was in the wrong place at the wrong time. You know what? That's pretty much what we're almost concluding to. But, you know, like I said, this is our fifth year of looking into this. My yeah. little half-inch binder is now a six-inch binder, and I better go buy another binder because I'm running out of room. Yeah. So the, now, is, is is everybody in his in his family uh, giving you the runarounds? Oh, yeah. Some don't say anything at all, and others sporadically. And then there's one that just chatters on like, you know, but that's all disinformation. And the fact that, you know, nothing can be found, uh, just, I, and his driver's license bothered me because, you know, when I was a police officer, I could check anybody's driver's license. I don't care where you were from. So I went back into PennDOT 
and I pulled up my driver's license. And on that driver's license sheet, it's not the day I took my test when I was 16, the trooper that gave it to me when I was 16, the type of car I was driving when I was 16, the make and model, the year, and all the information from there all the way up to till today. That's all there. Under his name, nothing. But he was a bread truck driver. He had to have a CDL. Yes, yeah, that's crazy. And, um, you know, it's uh, we've been sent in so many wrong directions, but one of the things we did from the very beginning was all the information that we got because, I, you know, when I started it, I didn't want anybody to come forward and say, well, that's hearsay or that's nonsense or that's a load of right. bull. Everything that we've got, we've got on paper. We've got the autopsy report, the official autopsy report, the letterhead and everything, signatures, the whole nine yards. We've got the official information from the coroner. We've got the official information from the police. Oh, and FOIA requests, that's a waste of time because every FOIA request we sent came back with things like spelling wrong, um, everything but bad grammar as an excuse. Or we oh, I've, heard, yeah, I've, I've heard that one before. <laughs> yeah, you know, I've heard about but, that. That's ridiculous. So and that was a waste of time. Then we found did, out. Did, did they treat you like they did David Pilates, where they basically told you it would cost money, a bunch of money, for you to get the information? No, not that. They threatened us with arrest for harassment. For really? freedom of information, they, yeah. They, yeah. And, and what agency was this? That was the Point Pleasant Township Police. Point Pleasant had nothing to do with the case. They were at well, the scene. Point Pleasant, where? What state? Uh, Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. Yeah. But they didn't even have the case. The case was turned over to the state police. And another thing that was curious in the in the uh, um, autopsy report was that the state police trooper that was there took fingernail and hair samples. Now, you would take fingernails or hair samples from a victim, a murder suspect, uh, you know, something where foul play was involved. You, I mean, you wouldn't take them from a car accident victim and or a plane crash victim. You wouldn't take that. Fingernails and, and hair. You would only take that in a questionable yeah. death. Yeah. Well, did, they they took, ever, did they ever postulate that he had been attacked by wild animals, cougars, or anything like no, that? I got, no, there was no, no, no animal marks, uh, uh, just the critters that were feeding on him when they found him. And uh, and larvae, flies, maggots. But other than that, no, there was no wounds, uh, no punctures, no rips and tears, or anything like that. Right. And uh, so, basically, a healthy guy gets on his uh, ATV at five o'clock in the morning, and by two thirty, he's gone, disappeared. They find the ATV pretty quick, a mile from the house but they don't find him until the next day in the evening, almost 8 o'clock at night. So, like I said, um, I have maybe I have just documented the first case of a real zombie because there is no way this guy walked one mile to that house in open ground and down a trail that was being run up and down with people on motorcycles and ATVs and on foot and dogs and everything else and walked by them. And they didn't see him, and he didn't see them. That's impossible. If he crawled 
if he crawled, when you and you can, I mean, the mathematics, you can do it with mathematics. If a human crawls on hands and knees for that distance, one mile, he would have been home in five hours. Yeah. So no, in, no internal injuries at all. None whatsoever. None. The body, the body that way was totally unremarkable. Uh, brain showed no damage, um, no no fractures, no broken bones, no deep lacerations. He had a lot of bruises, a lot of scrapes and scratches and, and cuts and stuff like that, but nothing that was, well, put it this way, nothing that would require stitches, you know. Uh, a body was covered with those. Um, uh, socks were muddy. Uh, so... Uh, uh, yeah, but, uh, and even even that's kind of strange because the autopsy said the socks were muddy at the heels. Why wouldn't they be muddy all the way around? All over, right? Huh. So was he well, now, was he dragged to that location? Hmm. And the, the area which he was found in, although he was uh, the the tree was already down, he was found under that tree. That area where the tree is, the uh, very heavy brush, they had to cut into it to get to him. So, so it wasn't like that he would he would you know like say it hurt himself and then uh, <laughs> crawled into that brush for some reason to hurt himself to get the the amount of scratches and bruises and bangs and everything on him he probably would have had to jump off a cliff and roll down a rocky mountain. <laughs> I mean there was there was just the, it makes no sense the fact that we can't find anything on him uh, and. Simple stuff like um, we know where he's buried. We have we have a picture of the plot and the stone and everything else, and um, it's just strange that nobody, I mean, nobody talks about this guy. Hmm. Nobody. Now, did did any did uh, was there any other uh, group involved in this uh, investigation besides the uh, the the state police? Not that we're aware of. They said the FBI was on the scene and had talked to all the responders, told them to shut up, but we can't prove that. When we talked with the FBI, the the lady there said, I don't have any idea what you're talking about. She said, I just looked and she said, I don't have anything for that day where our people were out. (laughs) Now, um, some strange stuff has happened recently uh, that we're looking into where a person that said they were on the scene, or we found that they were on the scene, and we located them, not in the state anymore, they're out of state, said that we must have the wrong name, wrong number, but, you know, they wished us luck in our investigation. And then three weeks later, calls back to see how we're making out. Really? So if you weren't involved, and it wasn't you, what do you care how we're making out? Or did we find anything new? Why would you even ask yeah, they're they're fishing for information. Sure, well, of course we're probably talking to the right person, but they're just not going to admit it. Well, they, yeah, they want to know how far you've gotten because they want to make sure you haven't gotten anywhere. Mm-hmm. And you know, there are a lot of people out there um, that say they're investigating the case here in Pennsylvania. They're not investigating anything. They don't have anything. We got it. I mean, after we got the autopsy report, I think the coroner realized that he did a bad thing. Because if the case was open, he should have not released the autopsy report and the toxicology report. Mm-hmm. And I got it right in front of me right now. Wow. What did Fine. that say? 
What, what else besides besides the incredible amount of cocaine? What else did it say? Anything? Uh, basically, you know, the condition of the body was horrendous for the time period. Um, the uh, it also says that you know they found nothing internally wrong with this guy. Uh, and another thing, uh, like the one coroner that I showed this to, he said, well, if this guy was a hardcore user, there would be all kind of telltale signs. Lungs, there would be marks on the lungs, there would be marks on the heart, the muscle of the heart, because, you know, the heart pumping, went, as you're getting higher, the heart's really going crazy. Yeah. Um, brain, there would be some spots on the brain, maybe. You know, he said little things. He said that would show that he was a hardcore user. But he says, according to this, we're looking at the body, minus all the, the, the scraps and scratches and all that stuff. He said, we're looking at the body of a perfectly normal white male, 39 years old. And he said, with that amount of cocaine in it? And here's another thing. From the time the body's found until it gets to the hospital, there's 14 hours missing. Where's the body for 14 hours? Hmm. It's picked up, and until it gets to the hospital... It is 14 hours past. And you don't have any idea where it went? No idea. Every every death investigation I was involved in, everyone, from the scene, the body was taken to the hospital for autopsy. If it, if it was going to require an autopsy. I'm not telling somebody that had a, you know, uh, a heart condition and you know died in their sleep. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about anything that was questionable, like car accident or industrial accident or electrocution or you know something like that, a gunshot, suicide, whatever. That body left the scene as soon as the coroner pronounced it and was taken immediately to the hospital that was going to perform the autopsy. That's crazy. And here, 14 hours. Yeah, that it would disappear from. And you, who would you ask about that? The the local the police. No, the coroner. And what did he say? He doesn't talk to us anymore. Ever since he gave us the autopsy report and realized what he did. Uh, let me rephrase that. Ever since he sold us the autopsy report. Oh, man, you just sunk him. Mm-hmm. Oh, he, he sold you the report. Is that is that uh, uh, the normal procedure? <laughs> no. <laughs> Not that quite. should be, that should be a, if it's an op, if it's an open case that, if it's an open case the autopsy report should have never been released nor the topic. never never right oh yeah uh-huh. what they would have done was went to the family and said okay here's what the autopsy found that it was death by cocaine overdose and the, the toxicology report says that that the same thing so that's what we're going to rule it it's a closed case is he still a coroner yeah oh yeah hmm. he's also the funeral director. Hmm. Yeah. Well, and you you know he was that not funeral it, director that buried Todd Cease. Another funeral. Oh. Another funeral director in town actually did the funeral. And we asked him for pictures when we were still talking to him before we actually got the autopsy report. We asked him about pictures. He said nobody will ever see those pictures, ever. Uh-huh. I said, well, why not? He said, no. Not going to happen. But he said that about the autopsy report, too. But we got that after we paid for it. Man. Well, you know, in a, in a small community like that, if somebody is doing that amount of cocaine... Everybody uh, would know it. Besides that... Everybody knows about it, yeah. Besides that, the cost 
It's just like the one pathologist said to me. He said, you realize the cost to keep up a habit like this? If this was a normal habit, the amount of money this guy would have generate, had to generate to buy this amount of cocaine every whatever he was doing, whether it was every day or every other day, he said, you're talking about thousands and thousands of dollars a week. Bread truck drivers don't make that kind of money. Mm-mm, mm-mm. There is nothing we can find that points this guy to be a drug user of any type. Hmm. Well, and you would you would think that his family would be extremely interested in in proving that you know proving that you know uh, th- that he wasn't a drug user because i mean you know in, in, in a rural community like that i mean you know your your name is everything and your family and it, it, that also involves your family you don't want oh. everybody going oh well you know that's the now parents know, brothers and sisters don't speak about it at all hmm. at all everything we've gotten has been from nieces and nephews and one who gave us a lot of information was just a small child when he died but this is stuff that she's heard over time as she's grown up. And now she's 17, I guess, 18. And she was talking. Now, but one of the things that we did from the very beginning was we didn't involve the whole of Euphoricup. The Research Center of Pennsylvania was not involved as a whole. We have a cold case unit. And the cold case unit, which encompasses four guys that I'm the only one who knows who they are, um, have been working the case. And... Um, a matter of fact, the whole case has only been shared with my people as to what I'm talking to you about right now. Hmm. I've never sent out the autopsy report or or told them what was going on or this, that, and the other thing because when we do come to a conclusion, whatever that conclusion may be, or no conclusion whatsoever, then we'll put everything out and let I, everybody else try I, to decide what that is. I'm going to assume, Butch, that you have backup copies oh, yeah. of the way. Oh, yeah. Places. Okay, good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Copies. I have a copy of the whole file. As a matter of fact, there's three copies. There's one with an attorney. There's one in a bank that's not even in this state. Um, and there's two other ones that are out there. I wouldn't, yeah, I would not reveal where they were for sure. Not even, <laughs> far, not even as far as you just did, I would say, yeah. Well, I, I'm think I'm, you know, when I gave that some thought, I figured, well, they'd figure you'd give it to an attorney and they'd figure you'd put it in a bank. But yeah. there's a lot of banks in this country. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> and find the name. <laughs> well, now have have you ever had anybody uh, uh, approach you and yes. say, "Hey, I've got uh, you know, I've 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 got the information that you're looking for, but you oh, just no. you just knew that oh. this is somebody who's just trying to feed you something." We we've had that happen a number of times. Uh, where people have said, well, here's some information you could use, or this is what really happened. And it was it was just total different disinformation trying to get us to go in another direction. Hmm. And um, But even that helps sometimes when somebody tells you something that you already know, but they're telling you the opposite of. It kind of tells you what to, when you're talking to that person, what to say and what not to say, and let them do their own talking. And that has worked a lot. To our benefit, and um, it's uh, it's just one of those cases where we're not going to let it go. I mean, I was threatened already twice <laughs> to get off the case. Don't get involved. 
Wow. Hmm. So, and, so uh, I'm not going to ask for names, but what what level of of so-called authority did those threats come from? Uh, it was a phone. It was the the one was a phone call that just told me, you know, back off, forget about it, you know, go on to something else, and yeah. uh, hung up. And you know, the number was on my ID, so I dialed it back, and there it said there was no such number. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So they, yeah, they they use they use uh, software to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um, and then another one was actually at a conference. After the conference, a guy stopped me outside while I was loading my my briefcase into my truck. And said, you know, you really shouldn't get involved in this. And I said, well, who are you? And he says, nobody you want to know. And I said, buddy, you're not scaring me a bit. I said, I'm married. Followed him. I'm married. You ain't scaring me none. (laughs) (laughs) You should have followed him, man. Well, he just kind of walked back into the conference, and we saw him a couple times. He was there for the whole conference, but I didn't really care. You know, he was. Who cares? Hmm. Well, you know, I mean, the the interesting thing is that you know that this this level of of cover up that's going on and 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 happening so quickly, um, you know, there must have been some kind of of knowledge from somewhere in order to 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 jumpstart this mm-hmm. you know because because of the way you're talking i mean it's it's like there were people on this almost immediately well uh here's for instance you know when we first got involved of course we went to the newspaper the, there was one writer that was taking care of the whole thing from start to finish and she was very open with us i mean telling us whatever we wanted to know and sharing her information and for some reason the last time my one investigator talked to her and told me how she was answering questions. I thought, you know what? I'm going to go in and I printed everything in their uh, in their archives, copied it and printed it, and put it in a file. The next day, that archive was empty. There was nothing in there about him. The next mm. day, that archive was clean. So there was like a story about you know I don't know uh, some bicycle ride somewhere, and then the story after before that, and the story after him was. Uh, something to do with a cookout. Well, those were there. Everything in between that was all all the, all the newspaper reports for him, which was like eight pages, was gone. No big deal. I got them. Oh, good. I was about to yeah, say. Not yeah. only photocopied them, but I mean, you no, know, photocopied them off the off of the uh, computer, but printed them all out, put them in a file, so I have them. And the byline is there. The dates are there. What was said is there. So. Good. Wow. But but that's going on in many cases. You know, I I don't know if you're familiar with the Carbondale, Pennsylvania case, where you had the the, the lantern case, they call it, uh, where a lantern went into a a group of teenagers, see something fall out of the the sky like a controlled landing and go into a mine pit uh, of water. And uh, a researcher in Philadelphia who just happened to be listening to his radio at 3 o'clock in the morning decided to drive up there, and the whole case was handed over to him, right? And he basically made everybody that ever questioned it look like a, a jerk. I mean, he he was calling people all kinds of names on the Internet, and he did for many, many years, turned right. into a skeptic. And we went up and looked at the case, and I said, well, one of the things that bothered me the most about the case was he said, well, the lantern was moving around in the, in the silk pond, 
the current was pushing it all over the soap pond. That's what made people think it was moving. There is no current in the soap pond. That's dead water. Hmm. Yeah, that's right. So, and, and so the connect it actually went into a pond that was connected to an old mine shaft. Is that correct? Yes. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. So anyway, so um, took a little while, but I got six of the identical lanterns. I got the batteries, the original batteries. We did some testing. In his, uh, then I got a hold of his report, which floored him because he called me. He said, I didn't realize that you would be interested in this. He said, it's, 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 it's just nothing but a lantern. I said, well, I said, I'm not going to rely on your 40-year-old memories or 50-year-old memories. I said, but I'll try to see what I can do with it forensically if it went into that water or not. So got a hold of the battery manufacturer and told them that in the report, and I read him right out of the report, that when they pulled it out of the water, that the internal batteries were leaking, they lost their continuity, all this goop was inside of it, and I said that a guy who actually made the battery, you know, his company, and he was looking at one on the shelf, he said, well, had that looked like that when they opened it, he said, it never would have been lit. And I said, okay. He said, no continuity. He said, that battery was dead. So uh. how did this battery stay on for almost two days, three days, actually? And then a police officer goes after this thing in 12-foot of water and pushes it around with a six-foot stick. How do you do that? Yeah. The police officers arrive on the scene. The first thing they do is shoot at it. <laughs> That's crazy. But in his report, they're called by NASA. They're called by the Air Force. Uh, they're called by um, different government agencies. Uh, they're on the line with uh, the space agency for almost an hour and a half. Do you ever get the impression that maybe some of the information that you have has actually been leaked to you intentionally by either people who want you to get to the bottom of it or by people who are trying to mislead you? Well, when I when we did the Carbondale final report, uh, this guy was very prominent on the Internet. I mean, he was all over the place. He was speaking everywhere. When we published the report, he disappeared. Really? Yep. He's not on the internet anymore. You want you want to give us his name? Um, it is um, God. I should know it off the top of my head, but he was so irrelevant to me. It just I'd be curious was, to go um, look around a little bit. Yeah. Uh, hang on a second. I should have it somewhere here. Because yeah, you was, know. Go ahead. But anyway, he um, you know when I told him I had his report, he called me a liar. I says, how can you say that? Why would you think I would tell you I have your report and not have your report? Said, Does that make any sense? And he said, well, that's impossible. Nobody has my report. And I said, well, I'm going to tell you something. Here's what it says. And I started reading it to him. And the date and the time he filed it, how many pages were in it, the color, what it looked like. Uh, what the first page said, what the last page said. I, you know, I just reading excerpts out of it. I said, you, you, for years said that everybody, that you were there for the whole three days. You were the chief investigator for the whole three days. When you showed up, the the police department turned over the case to you because you were a uh, 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 an uh, UFO investigator out of Philadelphia, and they thought that you would be the best one to handle the case. I said, that doesn't make any sense to me. Hmm. And um, I said, so (laughs) what are you telling me here? 
And I said, the best part is that according to your paper, your 30-some page report that I'm holding in my hand right now, you were actually on the scene for two hours and 47 minutes. Hmm. How does that equate to three days? Uh, you know, uh, what, are you ta- what are you trying to tell me here? That's when he hung up on me. But I did get a, <laughs> I did get a Christmas card. A Christmas card. He sent you a Christmas card. Eh? <laughs> yeah. Did you like, uh, did you dust it for prints or spray it off to make sure there was no poison residue? Or? <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, that was, you know, it was such an easy case to prove. It took a little work. I mean, it took a little work to find a report because I really couldn't find a report. Um, you know, and then it showed up. Um, uh, Kufos actually had the report, and I went like, "Wow!" And I called uh, Doctor Rodinger and I told him who I was, and I, I said, "I'd really like to have a uh, copy of the report." And he said, "Okay." He said, "Just send me the postage," and I sent him the postage that day. And three days later, I had the report in my hand. Well, so, uh, it is amazing. Uh, uh, unfortunately, Butch, we are out of time here. So, uh, why don't you tell our uh, our audience uh, where they can uh, find out uh, more about you? You have a website, uh, uh, or email, you know, anything like that that you'd like to give out. Uh, the website is euphorcop uh, dot com. That's u f o r c o p dot com. The uh, there's a contact page there that they can get direct email to me on the back. Um, I usually answer the email within hours, sometimes minutes. If I'm not here, usually within less than 24 hours because I have it on my my cell phone and my not my iPad. But um, uh, any of that stuff uh, would be. Uh, we have a Facebook page. Uh, we have a blog. Um, so. On Facebook, it's just euphorcop.com. I have my own Facebook page, which is Butch Witkowski at Facebook. So, not hard to get a hold of. We're there. All right. Well, yeah. Thank you very much for uh, for being with us tonight. I mean, it's a, yeah, a fascinating it. program. Yeah. yeah. Well, it was great. We, we you need to come back sometime because oh, absolutely. These are subjects. Yeah, these subjects fascinate us because we've actually both of us have researched and written about these these same things and uh since you've actually done so much forensic type investigation that's the only way to do it guys because if you try to do it by just taking a report and filing it it never happens nah it doesn't work yeah it doesn't work that way does it no it does not very cool <laughs> thanks all right well let's uh we need to wrap it up here gentlemen so uh butch again thank you and uh please uh come back again in the near future and uh you know update us on uh what's going on with you so uh this is tim swartz for mike mott you have been listening to the outer edge thank you very much be sure to tune in this time next week for another fascinating program so from uh, all of us good night and we'll see you next time <laughs>